Good morning. Happy Sabbath. It is a blessing to be here today and sharing God's word with you. My family isn't here. I'm an international student, but they're watching online. I've got my brothers here, my friends here. So if you could just maybe wave at them because they're, they're going to be watching this or they're going to be watching this later. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I want to start by asking you, have you ever wondered what does it mean to have an unwavering fate? Or perhaps you have wondered how to have an unwavering fate. Now I want you to think with me here for a moment. If the famous chapter in the book of Hebrews. Do we know what chapter that is? Hebrews chapter 11. It's also called the Fate Hall of Fame or the, or the chapter of the heroes of fate. If that chapter was to be written today, would you find your name in there? My sermon title today is Unwavering Faith, and my text is found in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 33. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter, 20, chapter 14, verse 22 to 33. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. In your pew Bibles, it's on page 659. Matthew 14, 33. And it reads, Immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Father God, thank you, God, for being here with us today. I ask God that you would hide me behind the cross, Lord, and that only Jesus 
would be glorified. Only Jesus would be magnified, Lord. I ask God that you would speak to me and through me, Lord. And may our ears today be in tune with the Holy Spirit for the message that he has for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You see, this is a time in Jesus' ministry when he has just fed the 5,000 men plus women and children and using just five loaves of bread and two fish. And so after the multitudes and his disciples witnessed this miracle, they couldn't help but think of what God did back in the day when the children of Israel were in the wilderness with Moses, when God fed them with manna from heaven. And so after this miracle, they thought that surely Jesus was the prophet like Moses that was to come. And indeed, they were right about that. But what they got wrong was the nature of his kingdom. But now this was enough evidence for the disciples and the multitudes to know that Jesus was the Messiah. So they tried to place Jesus as the king forcefully. They couldn't wait in their desperation any longer. They wanted their situation to change before God's perfect timing. This is where Jesus had to immediately send his disciples away, and he had to send the multitudes away, and he departed alone to a mountain to pray. You see, the Bible notes in verse 24, now when evening came, he was alone there, and verse 24 says, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. You see, the disciples have already had an experience with Jesus. They have seen Jesus healing the sick. They have seen Jesus making the lame walk again. They have seen Jesus giving the sight to the blind again. They have seen Jesus restoring the body parts of lepers. They have seen Jesus doing miracles. In fact, they have even seen Jesus calming the winds and the waves in a storm prior to this. So they have seen Jesus doing miracles. They have seen Jesus preaching the gospel to the poor, to the needy, and to the sick. But what they missed in all of this was the greater purpose that Jesus had. You see, their eagerness for deliverance became an obstacle to their trust in God. They had waited for long for the Messiah, and now they couldn't wait any longer for deliverance when he was with them. They wanted him to free them from the Romans, not understanding that Jesus had come to free them from their sins, not understanding that Jesus had come to make them children of God, not understanding that Jesus had come to bring the kingdom of God. And so they go ahead of Jesus, and they try to place him as the king forcefully. Beloved, lack of trust or confidence in God's timing can lead to an unwanted storm. The Bible says in verse 24, the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, there were times when I didn't trust God's timing, and I ended up in a storm. There were times when my actions were based on a lack of confidence in God, and I ended up in an unwanted situation. And my friends, we 
often like the disciples and the multitudes, desire Jesus to do something in our time. We often, like the disciples and the multitudes, desire Jesus to do something in our time, and we find a hard time trusting God's perfect timing. But the Bible says that trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. The very next verse says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart evil. So unwavering faith means to have confidence in Christ. To have an unwavering faith, we need to have confidence in Christ. But not only that, we also need to depend on Christ. You see, Jesus, unaffected by the attractiveness of the world, he sends his disciples away and sends the multitudes away and he departs alone and he prays. And now I have tried to wonder what could it be that Jesus was praying about? What was, it, what was of prime importance to Jesus that he had to send everybody away and be alone and pray at this time? Now he used to do that often, but this time it's different. Could it be that he was concerned for the crowd's safe travel mercies? Could it be that he was concerned for the disciples to make it to the other side of the shore safely? Could it be that he was concerned for the food of these 5,000 plus people on their way back home? What could it be that concerned Jesus so much that he had to be alone in prayer? Now I believe that Jesus is concerned with our finances. I believe that Jesus is concerned with what person we want to choose for our marriage. I believe Jesus is concerned with what degree we want to do, where we are in our lives. But I believe there is an overarching interest that God has in our lives and that God wants us to understand. There is something of prime importance that God wants all of us to know. And I believe that was exactly the thing that Jesus was praying about. He was praying for his disciples to know who he really was. He was praying for his self-revelation for his disciples. And we're going to get back to that. For now, I want, to take, I want to ask you that you take that thought, put it in your mind in a place where we can retrieve it later in the sermon. So moving on in verse 25 to 26, it says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but when the disciples left, the Bible says that it was evening. But now when Jesus comes to them, it says that now in the fourth watch of the night. You see, the Romans had divided the night in four watches. The first one was from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. The second watch was from 9 p.m. till midnight. The third watch was from midnight till 3 a.m. And the fourth watch lasted from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And when the Bible tells us that they left when it was evening, they had probably been rowing for 8 to 12 hours. They have been in this, on the sea in the storm for all, all night now. And I can imagine these disciples, you know, trying to row as hard as they could to want to get out of that situation and get to the shore. I can imagine these disciples trying to row as hard as they could and work together and maybe, just maybe, in their synchronized voices even singing, row, row, row your boat. 
gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. And indeed, life must have felt like a dream to them. A terrible dream. Because they were there this whole night, but couldn't get anywhere. They failed in getting to the shore. You see, interestingly enough, if you notice in your Bibles, in verses 24 to 26, they weren't afraid of the storm this time. Rather, of the ghost when it appeared. The Bible notes that they were full of fear at that time. And the other gospel writers, Mark and John, also emphasize their rowing when the wind becomes contrary. You see, I think what they are trying to say is that you can row as hard as you can and as long as you want in your own strength. But without Jesus, you're going to be rowing and rowing and rowing and get nowhere near solid ground. And now it is when they have lost against their situation that Jesus walks towards them. Beloved, it is often in the fourth watch of our lives that we experience God in the most supernatural way. It is often in the fourth watch of our lives that we treasure the deliverance He brings. It is often in the fourth watch of the night that God reveals Himself to us. And if my word isn't enough, ask Jacob, who wrestled with God till daybreak and met Him face to face just before God gave him a new name, a new identity. Ask Moses, who stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. Ask Joshua and the children of Israel, when they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around that city named Jericho, how the walls came tumbling down. And if you still don't believe, ask Jesus, whose tomb was found empty, and he was resurrected from the, from the dead at dawn. You see, some of us right now may feel like we are at the fourth watch of our lives. You have been there for a while, and the struggles you are facing is something more than what you can handle. You have tried to row yourself out of your situation yourself, but you have failed. Friends, I don't know what your fourth watch is. Maybe it's financial issues. Maybe it's the seasonal depression you struggle with. Maybe it's the heartbreak that you're going through or that you went through. Maybe it's the sins of your past that keep on haunting you and the lingering guilt. Maybe it's that you feel unworthy of Christ's love. Maybe it's the wait for that job promotion or that Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. And perhaps you feel like You have messed up to the point where there is no return. Perhaps you struggle with the question of whether God's love is really good. But what I know is that God has not forgotten you. He has not forsaken you. Beloved, God wants you to have confidence in Him. And God wants you to depend on Him. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. My friends, it is absolutely crucial to depend on Jesus in this life. Dependency on Jesus has to be our goal. There is no other way around it. And if dependency is the goal, I want you to hear this. Weakness is the advantage. 
if dependency is our goal, then weakness is our advantage. Beloved, the more weak we want to become, the more stronger Jesus becomes in us. The more we surrender, the more He transforms. The more we ask Him, the more we receive Him. The more we seek Him, the more we find Him. The more we knock at His door, the more He opens up for us. You see, in your own strength, you will waver. I'm going to tell you plainly. It's not that you may waver. It's that you will waver. But by depending on Jesus' strength, we can have an unwavering faith. Unwavering faith means to depend on God and not on ourselves. So notice in verses 27 to 29, the Bible says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. You see, in their fear, the Bible says, Jesus spoke to them immediately, saying, be of good cheer. In Acts chapter 23, when Paul was under custody in Jerusalem, about 40 Jews wanted to kill him. But the Bible notes that that night the Lord came and stood next to him saying, Paul, be of good cheer. You have testified for me in Jerusalem and now so you shall do in Rome. Beloved, Jesus is immediate in his response to our fear. Jesus is saying to you today, Be of good cheer, my child. Be of good cheer, my son. Be of good cheer, my daughter. I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. He says, be of good cheer. It is I. You see, in Greek, this is the word ego emi, which means... I am. And this is a reference to the name of God in the Old Testament. When Moses spoke to God in that burning bush, God said, I am who I am. Go and tell Pharaoh that the I am has sent me. How do you explain that to somebody? You see, Peter recognizes that name and asks the Lord to command him to come to him on water. You see, even though the disciples in that moment were still infants in their faith and had no clue if any one of them could walk on water, Peter took that little faith, that little infant childlike faith, and he placed it in the right place. He placed it in Jesus and asked him to command him to come to him on water. And Jesus enabled Peter to come to him on water. You see, at this point, Peter isn't worried about the situation he is in. He isn't worried about how the where the waves and the wind is. He isn't worried about the water. He isn't even worried about the science of this hole that as he steps out, he's gonna step on this liquid form of H2O. He's not concerned with anything. All he cares about at this point is that he wants to come to Jesus. And at this point, his focus, his focus is on Jesus. He wants to come to Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to look at Jesus and he wants to stay with Jesus. 
You see, beloved, to have an unwavering faith, it is important to focus on Jesus. And that's my third point to you. Unwavering faith means to focus on Jesus. You see, faith, even though small, like the size of a mustard seed, Jesus said can move mountains if you place it in the right place. When I was younger, I had a cousin who was around three to five years old at that time, a cute little baby boy, you know. And so he, they were visiting, and I grabbed him, and I started playing with him. I tickled him a little. He giggled a little bit, you know, put him on the table, show him my arms, and ask him to jump. As he looks at me, thinks for a while, and then he jumps. As soon as he jumps, I grab him. I grab him, and then I play with him again. I tickle him again, and he giggles again. Put him back on the table. Ask him to jump. He jumps again. I grab him again. Play with him again. Tickle him a little. He's like, put him back on the table. And then I put my arms straight. And I'm looking around as if I'm trying to ignore him. But this kid, he continued to laugh, and he knew that I was going to grab him. So he jumped, and as soon as he jumped, I grabbed him. You see, what I'm trying to say is that he had put his faith in me. So I ask you today, where are you putting your faith? What is the focus of your faith? Is it that you are overly worried about the hows and the whats of your situation? Or are you placing it in Jesus, trusting that he is going to bring you through? Trusting that he is going to grab you and carry you through. You see, Peter is a great example of bold faith. But he is also a great example of the journey of faith. See what happens to Peter as soon as he gets distracted and takes his eyes off of Jesus. Verses 30 to 31 note, But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he, saw, he, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And look what, that, what the Bible says over the end. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt Notice when Peter was looking at Jesus, when he had his confidence placed in Jesus, when he was fully dependent on Jesus, when he was focused on Jesus, he was able to walk on the water without any struggles. But the moment his eyes shifted from Jesus, but the moment his eyes started looking towards the waves and the winds, the moment he started looking towards the other disciples, he began to sink. And Alan White says he glanced back towards his companions in self-satisfaction. And because of that now, as Peter was drowning, the only thing he could do, the only thing he could cry out when he failed in his own self, that, Lord, save me. And the Bible knows that immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You see that phrase, you of little faith? It's a very gentle rebuke because it's always used for 
a believer. It's never used for an unbeliever. It's always used for, that, for a believer. And what I think is that Jesus is focusing is over, over here. He's saying that, why did you doubt? The word doubt over there is an interesting word. It literally means to stand in two ways. Implying uncertainty in which way to take. You see, when he doubted, when he looked at the waves and the winds, he wasn't sure anymore which way to take. And that's when he started to sink. So I want to ask you this question this morning. What is it that is making you uncertain about which way to take? Why do you stand at the crossroads of your life doubting whether or not you should trust Jesus fully? Why is it that we are having a hard time putting our confidence, our dependency, and our focus in Jesus? Beloved, Jesus has already bridged the gap. He has bridged that by coming and living a life that we couldn't live and dying the death that we deserved. And now He calls us to an unwavering faith in Him. So are you afraid of falling? Good. Because there are times when you are actually going to fall. But trust Jesus that He is immediately going to stretch out His hand and grab you and pull you out and say, be of good cheer. The righteous falls seven times, but gets back up. But the wicked falls into calamity. Are you tired of being in your fourth watch? Good. Because Jesus is calling you to depend on Him. Because Jesus wants to take your burdens away. Are you struggling with waiting for God's timing? Jesus is saying, have confidence in me, my child. Come and get to know me first. Who I really am. I want to, I want to get to know you. So come and get to know me. Seek me first and my righteousness and all these other things. I'll take care of them. You come. You see, unwavering faith is not a state that you achieve, but rather a journey you experience with God. Unwavering faith means to keep coming back to having confidence in Jesus. It means to keep coming back to a dependency on Jesus. It means to keep coming back and placing your focus on Jesus. And if you keep on doing and coming back to these three things, you will grow in your faith and activate an unwavering faith. Finally, when Peter and Jesus get into the boat, the wind, the Bible says, ceases. Notice what happens after. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Remember the prayer I was talking about? This is the first time Jesus says the words, I am. 
And he says it to his disciples. Before that, God spoke from heaven at his baptism and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Before that, Satan, when he took Jesus away, when he was tempting Jesus, said, if you are the son of God. Before this, the demons recognized Jesus that, oh, we know who you are, Jesus. You are the son of God. But before this, there is no instance of his disciples understanding that Jesus is the Son of God. And so Jesus uses the words, I am. He uses the name of God the first time with his disciples and see what the Bible says. They came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You see, his disciples understood by the end that he is the Son of God. To have an unwavering faith means knowing that God is sovereign over nature and mighty over your situation. To have an unwavering faith means to know that God is for you and before you. Ellen White says, Jesus had not forgotten them. The watcher on the shore saw those fear-stricken men battling with the tempest. And not for a moment did he lose sight of his disciples. As a mother in tender love watches her child, so the compassionate master watched his disciples. Just like the disciples were being watched in their struggle, God watches each and every one of us over here. And God watches us with tender love, waiting for us to call on His name, to show confidence in Him rather than ourselves, to depend on Him rather than ourselves, to, and to focus on Him rather than ourselves and our circumstances. And so, before I end, if you notice in verse 22, the first verse, the Bible says that immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat. It was Jesus who made his disciples get into the boat. And if it, if it is Jesus who has brought you thus far, then know that he's going to take you to the other side as well. If Jesus has brought you this far, he's going to bring you across the sea. There's a poem that reminds me of God's providence and God's leading, and I want to share that with you. It says, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Where the arms of God cannot support you. Where the riches of God cannot supply your needs. Where the power of God cannot endow you. The will of God will never take you where the Spirit of God cannot work through you. Where the wisdom of God cannot teach you, where the arms of God cannot protect you, and where the hands of God cannot mold you. The will of God will never take you where the love of God cannot unfold you, where the mercies of God cannot sustain you, and where the peace of God cannot calm your fears 
where the authority of God cannot overrule for you. The will of God will never take you where the comfort of God cannot dry your near tears, where the word of God cannot feed you, where the miracles of God cannot be done for you, where the omnipresence of God cannot find you. You see, if God has brought you this far, He is going to carry you through. So you see, to have an unwavering faith is to simply know that Jesus is for us. And because He lives, we can have an unwavering faith. We can have an unwavering faith because He lives. And because He lives, I can face tomorrow. May God bless you.